Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm Nate. And we want to welcome you to Don't Feed the Trolls, a podcast where we discuss trending topics, art, and culture through the lens of our experiences touring the world and creating art vocationally. We hope to bring topics out of the minefield of the comments sections and into the sphere of reasonable dialogue. Thank you for listening. Fear plays an interesting role in our lives. How dare we let it motivate us? How dare we let it into our decision-making, into our livelihoods, into our relationships? It's funny, isn't it? We take a day a year to dress up in costume and celebrate fear. Welcome. Welcome. (laughs) We just did that at the same time. Welcome to Don't Feed the Trolls, a podcast where we engage without the rage. That was Don't Fear the Reaper by Blue Oyster Cult, because today we're going to talk about fear. Fear. But first, we got to talk about the troll of the day, because those we guys do. live by fear. Sometimes when we're online, we see them, we stumble across it, and we're like, man, someone needs to call out these trolls. <laughs> and uh, so we're going to call them out, right? We're that someone it. is us. And this really goes uh, well with uh, what we're going to talk about today in general, mainly when fear relates to the idea of, uh, you know, terrorism, possibly. Sure. Politics. Yeah. But so this article that people were trolling on was, uh, what was the title of the article? You can The title uh, was, I mean, this was the, this was the, the, the big quote that got people to click on it, but it, it said, I went to a Trump rally in my hijab. His supporters aren't just racist caricatures. <laughs> Literally, that's the title. It's yeah, and the, the best part of the title is that this this woman who wrote the 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 article is trying not to troll. She's saying Trump um, supporters are not racist caricatures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the article goes on to talk about um, how they're they're reasonable folks that th- attend these rallies. Do you think we only read, like, we don't even read the articles anymore. We might no. read three s- words of the article title and no. then just blast into it. We see Trump and we see a lady in a hijab and okay. we're pissed. It's even worse than that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like, well, you already know what you want to say because you're already feeling something you need to say. Man. Yeah. But well, how, okay, yeah. So how did how did these trolls... Or this troll read this. Let's okay, okay, you be the troll and I'll be the responder. Yeah, okay. I'll play I'll play David the troll. So he comments on the person that posted um, or reposted this article. He goes, Why would you post this stupid <laughs> This lady is obviously race baiting and was trying to get a response. In her article, she actually claims to know what all Trump supporters believe. What a prejudiced piece of <laughs> Should I even say shit? I don't know. I'm I'm just like bleeping know. it out of. You could just be. I don't know I who our listeners are yet. Well, and then Jeff, you know, just the friend of the guy who posted the article. I'm I'm guessing he's a little bit more in his right brain. <laughs> says she went there by her own admission to see how they would respond to someone who was different than them. Thankfully, most of the people at the political rally didn't respond with the level of knee-jerk racism <laughs> and weirdly weirdly gendered invective that you did. And David responds, Jeff, I realize you are obviously a moron. <laughs> so, so David takes this thing uh, way out of way out of reach of the actual topic and just starts um, attacking attacking Jeff uh, personally, which is what the best trolls do. Well, it's funny because uh, it seems as if David is saying this girl is being lame. 
by going to this rally right. with her hijab on. And well, then David is just clearly way lame. Lamest <laughs> of lame. You know well, what I mean? Well the, well, the girls saying Trump supporters are great, and he doesn't even realize yeah. that because he's got his, uh, yeah, his knee-jerk um, rage happening. So thanks, David, for being... Yeah, troll of the week. The troll of the week. So why do we want to talk about fear? I mean, really, and how can uh, two guys that were in bands are in bands talk about fear? I mean, what the heck do we know? We don't know. Fear? We don't know much. Um, I can. I guess I can discuss a little bit about the brain science of fear, which I learned from listening to other podcasts. Um, and 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 my wife read a book once. That's my favorite way to find out things: is have have my wife Christy read a book and then tell me all about it. But My from what I understand, fear is one of the most, if not the most, powerful human emotions. It is responsible in a lot of ways for keeping you alive. And, um, and where the emotion comes from is a kind of at the base of your brain, the first thing to evolve or develop is uh, the limbic system, which is responsible okay. for your like fight or flight mechanism. So it's an evolutionary, keeps you alive. Sure, sure. It's like we one of them. We need fear. You need basically. it. You absolutely do. And the amyg the amygdala or the amygdalae, I think you have two of them in your brain. Um, when they're stimulated, it the result is anger, aggression, or fear. So, and the limbic system also stores emotional memory. So like. Um, mm. so you remember when something was bad, you know, you don't touch the hot pan multiple times, you know, it teaches you, ow, yeah. I'm not going to do that. Um, which is important, right? You ever fall off a chair as a kid and then that leads you to not, uh, walking on the edge of, I don't know, like a, a bridge. Or so, <laughs> so any daredevil has a broken amygdala. They just yeah. don't fear Under, anything. Yeah. Underactive. Yeah. Um, <laughs> underactive amygdala. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah, it's basically non-existent. Um, but so so like yeah, so like veterans with like PTSD, any loud noises will kind of bring back this um, this emotional memory of very vivid, real danger. Um, so it's really hard. I mean, it's so powerful that it's hard to it's hard to even um, you know overcome this this uh, emotional memory. It also shuts down cognitive function in the neocortex, which is like the front part of your brain responsible yeah. for, for being reasonable and thinking reasonably. Um, so I think it's safe to say that scientifically, if you approach any problem from uh, a fear-based uh, motivation, you are okay. scientifically being unreasonable. You yeah, have I lost have... your ability to reason. How do you know you're in fear-based thinking? Well, I mean, is there a way to know? Yeah, I, I guess there are there are symptoms, but because um, people who are in that frame of mind, I oft, often feel like don't even realize it. It's like everything comes no. out of their, their mouth is just fear based, and it's like it sounds like they're having a normal conversation, but right. it just well, we were talking about cognitive behavioral therapy, and that's the the act of like moving from the the emotional fear based part of your brain and and moving your 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 focus and your thoughts to a more reasonable cognitive part of your brain and then basically having a, a, a discussion with yourself, a conversation with yourself saying, okay. why do I feel this way? And as soon as you make that shift in your brain, you're now aware of your fear, which is the hard thing to do, I think. So the very, very worst situation is you like basically are deer in headlights, you're stuck, you can't even move. Yeah, you're, you're you, frozen. Well, we have like terms for this in society. It's like you've ever seen someone lose it. 
or yeah. freak out or yeah, deer deer in the headlights. I guess I'm just more interested in like what's like a step down where you're you're kind of in fear, living in fear, but you're not stuck in the headlights. Like you're a low level of, anxiety. I mean, there's certain people who just argue politically and everything that comes out of their mouth is just kind of this, well, they're gonna do this and this is gonna happen and then this and it's yeah. just like Yeah. There's really no logical discourse. So I'm just wondering if if their amygdalas are broken or something. <laughs> Come on. I don't know. I'm not a brain scientist. All Actually, I know... Actually, their amygdalas uh, are working real well. I've basically said everything <laughs> I know about neuroscience. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Well, nowadays, fear can travel... Like, but like think like pre-internet, even pre newspapers um you would only be able to be afraid of things in your field of vision like really like you could like you would see a dark alley or you know hear a wolf howl and then yeah, fear afraid would of animals then yeah fear would like trigger but like now we can be afraid of things on the other side of the world that aren't even ever going to happen to us in our lifetime and we can be yeah. just consumed Ebola. by this fear yeah so I mean that it fears a big thing nowadays because it travels it can like travel over populations it can travel over the globe and just infect kind of mass groups of people. So let's go back to the troll of the day. Troll of the day. The, he reads the article says lady with hijab about Trump and he just immediately is like he probably feels like yeah this lady is in there baiting people and like because she you know, all of her friends have bombs strapped right. to their chests, and they're all they all want to come in, and right. or a step down is that she's just trying to get some lawsuit settlement for sure racial discrimination or something. Sure. You know? So yeah. that guy's like, you know, just pissed already because he, he jumps to his conclusion. It. Well, the thing about his rage too is that the amygdala is responsible for aggression and anger. So when you find people who are very motivated by fear, you also find um, them also very angry and yeah. aggressive. Um, okay. And so, so you don't, you, it's all very emotional and you don't have, you know, he did, obviously didn't read the article and he didn't even maybe even read through the title of the article because he wasn't thinking with that part of the brain. Why does she want you to be mad? She says I suppress my emotions. So what do you care what she thinks? Goodbye. She probably gets that impression because you're cool. You're under control. Like me. Nothing wrong with that. All right, so my best friend and I and his dad decided to go to Yosemite. And um, we hike up all day, and we get to the first level of where basically you hike in. I don't know. It's like, it was like 10 miles, I think. We got to base camp. And we were around this little lake, and we were camping. And uh, put all our stuff in bear barrels. And hid, and then threw the rest on in bags, and you throw a rope over a tree, and you pull it up, and you tie it off, right? Yeah. So, literally, it was kind of crazy because we make this campfire, we cook our dinner, and this ranger comes out of the bushes, and she's like, "Hey, no fires." And we're like, "What? Like we're camping? What do you mean no fires?" She's like, "You have to be a certain elevation. You're too low. You can't start a fire." So we're like, "Okay, it's like 5:30, and it's dark, and we're like, what do we do now? You know what I mean? What do you do for four hours before you actually start to get tired?" So anyway. Put the fire out, and we're like, this sucks. Let's just go to bed. So we go to bed, and then literally, like, two hours later, I'm in this two-man tent with my best friend, and his dad just slept outside on the ground, kind of crazy. I hear this just, 
<laughs> stuff just getting batted around. And he gets up, I get up, I go out there, he shines his flashlight, and there's three bears, probably about... The three know, bears! The three bears. There's a baby, a mama, and a dada. And they were like, probably 60 feet from me. Oh my gosh. And he shines, hits him with the light, bangs the pans, and I look at him, and he's like, they normally run away. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, uh, I can't move. I'm terrified. I'm going, I'm going to go back in this little nylon tent and hide under my bag and hope that they don't know that I'm in here. Dude, I just panicked. I literally was like, I was probably 18 years old. Wow. And I never, I mean, I never really seen a bear that close, a big old bear. And, uh, <laughs> I froze, man. I froze for like 10 seconds. It was pretty scary. <laughs> But then they just—they were just more interested in our food, and they ate, it. they ate everything. I don't know how they got it, but they got everything. So we had to hike down the next day. It was—it was dumb, but I—I th- I think the weird thing is I experienced this crazy amount of fear, and then his dad was kind of like had this different reaction, like this shouldn't be happening, you know. He was very—he was very like reasonable and like cognitive yeah. about it. <laughs> and I'm like. Uh, I think bears run fast and faster than we do. So like, this I get a head start? strange. Let me think. Let me let me problem solve this. Yeah. It, so I was I was it, was, it wasn't very long. It's probably about five seconds. I was like pretty stuck. Couldn't so, move. So that would be like fear is a negative thing. Like when you're frozen in fear and you know that you should be doing something, but you don't know what to do because you're not even thinking with that part of the brain. You're just freaking out. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a moment of just, like, your muscles don't move. They don't, even if you could. Yeah. And, and I guess if they could have moved, I probably would have right. ran, which like, would have been the worst idea. Probably. Well, yeah, maybe 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 fear, maybe that kind of fear can be positive sometimes, because maybe running would make you pray, and they would chase you down. And you, We don't yeah. even know how many, you know, how many thousands of years humans have developed uh, these things to actually save us. We, we might think it's uh, fear is like a, a burden or something that's hurting us or hindering us from, from getting out of harm's way, but who knows? Maybe, yeah, maybe you being frozen in that moment was, was the best thing for you. Yeah, I'm sure you have some stories where fear helped do something positive for you. Well, my, my thing is mostly just with parenting, like human nature. Um, you know, we moved out of the city. Uh, my daughter had, had just turned one... Maybe she was one and a half. She was walking around, and I would take her out in the front lawn of our house that we were renting. We were on a bit of a blind corner, and there was no um, there was no fence, so yeah. she would like to go all the way to the edge of the grass and get on the curb and like try to walk into the street. And just I had to push te- you. Well, just because she was curious, right? And she had no yeah. idea of the danger. I had to teach her to be afraid of the danger. I'd get out there and I'd say no, 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 very sternly and like serious and you know, make, make her feel that it was very dangerous, but she wouldn't get it. And I eventually had to grab her hand in my, in my hand and I had to slap it, which I know we might, we might get some hate mail for that. Um, but just to like, just to startle her and to, to, to make her, to associate a level of ouch. Yeah. You have to, you have to translate. Well, it's either that that or I, or I look away and she runs out in the middle of the street and gets hit by a car and dies. So, I had to associate a level of like uncomfortableness uh, with um, with going out into the street, and she eventually learned to be afraid of the. Sh- I had to teach her to be afraid of the street because I had to c- continue to continue to tell her, cars are owie. 
It's ow. Yeah. It's yeah. ouch. You know? And that, I mean, eventually she would get to the edge and she would turn around and she would look at me and she'd run back. So she learned the boundary, which is, uh, it was fear was an effective motivator to help keep her alive. And I had to teach that to her. And to yeah. this day, it's like, you know, they're afraid of, both my kids are afraid of timeouts. I can, mm-hmm. I can get Being them alone. to, do, I can manipulate their, <laughs> their uh, behavior by threatening a timeout. So I think we all kind of have these stories where we've been, you know, just paralyzed in fear or we use fear to do something good or we use, we use fear to do something stupid like right. on Facebook and just say dumb stuff. But clearly right now it's like this whole terrorism thing is a, is fear, right. Fear based and it, and it relates to refugees coming into our country. Sure. And uh, I figured, well, hey, I have. Wait, go ahead. Well, the refugees thing is like, it's it's tied to the terrorist thing, and and keep in mind that terrorism is literally the the act doing. It's an act that you do to incite fear. It feeds like terrorists want the populace to be afraid, especially. Yeah. I mean, especially with ISIS. Fear leads to aggression, leads to retaliation, leads to bolstering their ranks. Because if we drop bombs on them, I mean, this is obviously my opinion, but if we drop bombs on them, they can more ra- they can radicalize more of the local populace to um, to become extremists and terrorists. And so, fear is a cycle for them. They feed fear into us. We respond and retaliate with aggression and fear, and yeah. they grow. Yeah. And and the fear of the fear of uh, refugees coming into our country is tied into terrorism. What if one of them is, um, you know, one in ten thousand is a terrorist? It's yeah. not worth it because they kill I Americans. Can, I can hear that, like you know, that conservative voice in my in my bones that I've been trained up in to say, "Well, what do you do?" I mean. You got to be afraid. I mean, what are we sure. supposed to do as a government? We got to go blow them away, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's an, that's immediately like like something we have to do, you right? Know? Instead of having a conversation, we're like, okay, should the United States police the world? Is that something we should do, right, or not? You know, like we can't even have a conversation about it because everyone goes, "You're a moron if you don't think that's the truth," right? Or how can you be a patriot and also be for peace? You know, right? Something like something like that. Like you can love your country and not not say okay let's go out and respond in fear every time and that's and that's hard that's a, that's a long that's a, it's its own podcast right <laughs> exactly but right now um i have a friend who uh his name's ryan lipscomb and let's get him on the line because he works directly with refugees oh wow um and he's in idaho and he's been doing it for a long time so he has some good stuff to say so we got him on the line and uh let's talk to ryan ryan you're in uh, boise idaho right that's correct, uh-huh. And so where so what different countries are are refugees coming in from to Boise? That's that's a great question. So a lot of times it, it, you know so refugee resettlement has started as early as um the 1980s officially. Um and so it kind of follows the trend of what's happen, happening globally with conflict. Uh so for Boise especially back in the 80s we were we were resettling a lot of families from um 
East Asia, so a lot of uh, Laotian families, uh, Cambodian families um, at that point. And then, but probably our biggest number started coming in the early 90s with the Bosnian families that were coming in uh, due to the crisis that was, um, you know, where a lot of Muslim Bosnian families were being targeted by Christian Serbian families or individuals. And so that forced migration into other countries where then they be- went through the refugee process and resettled throughout the United States and then Boise, of course. Wait, wait, you're, uh, you're, so, so, so let me let me just back that up a second just to, yeah. uh, to contrast it with today's issue. You're, you're saying that um, um, Serbian Christians were persecuting Bosnian Muslims and so we provided a refugee status to Bosnian mu- Muslims trying to free the... Trying, yeah, exactly. Trying to be free of religious persecution from Christians. Exactly. And that's <laughs> that's <laughs> With that's our interesting. Current landscape, I, that's, I don't yeah, think yeah. I actually understood that about that conflict, but that's very interesting and that's that's kind of in a lot of ways opposite or I mean that would that would be opposite of what a lot of people think is happening especially with the the Syrian refugee crisis. Why do you think there's so much fear with the refugees topic in general right now? Like what do you think the redneck American thinks when they think that word and now what you think when you think that word? Well, I, f- I feel like Idaho, we have a pretty good representation of, of that perspective. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, so I, <laughs> so what's stirring a lot of this fear, I, you know, I think part of it is what's being portrayed in the media. So we're seeing a lot of individuals that are fleeing Syria with the Syrian conflict currently um, going through Greece and then, and then, you know, migrating into Europe. And, and so as Americans, when we see this, I think kind of what's happening is it's um, we are kind of looking at from the lens of this is happening to us. Um, Right. And so in, in a lot of ways, there's a lot of misunderstandings about our refugee resettlement process in the United States. And so there's this uh, fear that all of a sudden people are going to start coming over in boats. And, uh, and it just kind of creates this, this uh, yeah, combination that leads to a lot of people to have fear of how do I protect myself and my own. Sure. So, Ryan, uh, what, like someone told me that it was, it was much easier to get a travel visa than to become a, a refugee of the United States of America. Yeah. And so if people yeah. wanted to travel here, it's far easier to fake those documents and just get on the ground on American soil and do whatever harm they might want to do. And that the refugee process, I mean, I, I, I'm assuming you, you can speak to the refugee process a little bit. Um, what goes into sure. that? What, what sort of um, parameters and protocol they have to go through to uh, finally sure. get here? Yeah, so there's there's a lot of federal agencies that are involved in the background screenings for individuals, and and so those are the ones that are known, and then we also have the ones that are classified. So it's again, it's a very uh, heavily vetted process for individuals coming through. Um, we've had moments in resettlement history where you know they do slow down resettlement from a certain country because there is an issue um, rising up. Uh, you know whether there's security risks. Um, I think one of the things, especially with uh, individuals coming from Iraq or an area maybe where we perceive that there could be a threat, uh, that even has an extra layer of uh, security that's added onto that. Right. Uh, so we don't really don't have anything to be afraid of. Well, I mean, like, you know, I guess I guess probably our biggest concern is, um, you know, once individuals come to the United States, right, there's, there's potential for them to become marginalized. And that's probably the biggest issue for us is that 
once someone becomes marginalized, they, they're coming over hoping that things are going to become better here. Uh, once they get United States, there's kind of a little bit of a disillusionment um, a lot of times because it's it's actually probably in a lot of ways a lot harder right. uh, when you're looking at um, especially you know probably you know older older individuals coming over it's more difficult. But I would also say for those that are coming over at like 18, 19 years of age maybe haven't had an opportunity for formal education. Um, and so all of a sudden they're thrown into our educational system and they haven't had a lot of, um, you know, formal education going into that process. Culture and so they, Culture, yeah, there's right. a lot of cultural pieces uh, at play. I mean, there's so many different layers there. So I, I would say probably, you know, I, you know, I can't say that that's, uh, uh, not a possibility, but I think it's more of how our system is here in the United States that maybe um, kind of creates a, 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 a opportunity for someone like ISIS who has a lot of marketing, um, you know, on social media now to try to solicit these young adults that, um, you know, maybe feel like they don't have anything else um, that is going right. for their them bread and butter. Systems. Their bread and butter is recruiting marginalized people. Exactly. Um, and, and bringing them into an extreme sort of brotherhood where they feel like they belong, much like a, right. a street gang in a way. And so if exactly. you leave people out in the cold for long enough, um, they're going to band together in some extreme form. There was a march or a rally tonight that was anti-Muslim in uh, Boise at the Capitol? Correct, yeah. And so they, they were speaking to the legislature uh, in Idaho, and so they, they were able to set up a time to talk with them. Um, just a little bit about their concerns about allowing uh, Muslims into uh, not just the United States, but more specifically into Boise. And they're specifically speaking about um, the, the the class of religion, not exactly. where they're coming from or anything. So obviously Boise's already taken in Bosnian Muslims who are facing persecution. And you've right. worked, you've I, I'm assuming you've worked with some of these Bosnian Muslims at, at some point. You know, actually, since it was in the early 90s when that wave came in, I was going to school okay. um, with them, and uh, so high school, um, and and so from 2000s on, the, the Bosnian uh, families probably stopped resettling towards the mid-late 90s. Okay. Um, I, I started, you know, doing this work, you know, probably five, six years ago, so a lot, of, you know, a lot of the... Uh, uh, groups that are starting to resell now have shifted. So there's just a constant shift in who's arriving, who's coming and who's arriving, uh, into the United uh, States. Who's arriving now sure. uh, into Boise? Yeah, so we have a lot of families uh, that continue to arrive from Iraq. Uh, They're continuing to arrive from Somalia. Um, the Congo is another area uh, that we see a lot of individuals coming from. Afghanistan, uh, We've had a lot of individuals coming from Nepal and Burma, but now those programs are starting to phase out in those countries as, as they start to stabilize a little bit. Um, but now, of course, um, we were slated to receive a lot more Syrian families. We've had a few families arrive in Boise in the last year. Um, what do you feel like is the biggest problem when they do come over here, like for you guys to accept them? Because it seems as though as you're saying, like, yeah, it's kind of like anyone left out in the cold, like Matt was saying sort of develops this attitude that could lead them down the, the path to the dark side? You know, I think employment's always an issue. Housing's always an issue. But I think, you know, aside from that, kind of social pieces of profiling, that that's a concern. So, I, you know, kind of what we were going back to before, um, you know, if someone is being profiled because of their appearance and how they look, 
um, I think that kind of sets them up um, in some ways where, you know, maybe the police are, um, you know, arresting them, uh, you know, for, for some issue that may or may not have happened or, you know, pulling them over or whatever. It kind of leads to a sense of, um, you know, how, how can I trust the place I'm in if I can't trust, you know, those that are here to protect me? So what's the, so obviously you're saying, uh, you, some refugees from Iraq, Afghanistan, Somalia, I'm assuming I'm, I'm, I'm kind of leading you here, but I'm assuming some of those refugees are Muslim. Yes. Uh, how, what is your experience with Muslim refugees? Obviously you're, you're at yeah. the, there's a, there's a, there's a protest against Islam at the Capitol. You're there with a, uh, protesting that protest. Why <laughs> do you, why do you care to defend um, Muslims? Yeah. Well, I, th- I, I think one of the reasons uh, for that is because I feel like they, uh, they're the ones that have been persecuted the most, right? They're the ones that have, they mm-hmm. are being targeted within their own countries by this group that's of radical Islam. Um, and so for us, the least we can do is, uh, is to receive them. Um, you know, a lot uh, for me, um, I base a lot of it on my, my, faith perspective. Um, and so I, I can understand for people that don't have, uh, a faith to kind of rely on in, in that area that, you know, fear makes sense. Like you're trying to protect all of your resources. Um, you know, and, and unfortunately, you know, I can, I can understand that aspect. What I don't understand is the church's response, um, to, to serving those that are coming that have been persecuted, that continue to be targeted. And, and instead, you know, the fear of some, some potential thing happening to us is, is enough for us to basically try to shut down the borders across all, you know, all sure. across. Well, one of, so I, go ahead, Nate. So I know you have some redneck friends cause you have to, cause you live in Boise. Well, we know <laughs> Nate has guns. So yeah, I, I own some guns cause I'm redneck, I guess. <laughs> what are like, I know your friends, if you could like write a frequently asked questions, and you could, because uh, your friends are probably asking the same questions. What are some common misconceptions that your friends ask you, like three or four? And you're like, look, this is what you think because you read Facebook, but this is what's actually going on. Yeah, I, I wish my friends would even ask me the question. I think they, they <laughs> probably, probably already know where I, I land on a lot of this stuff. But probably the things I hear the most common when I go, uh, you know, either to these rallies or just engagements in the community is, Hey, they're sucking all their resources. They're all getting on welfare. You know, um, it's a drain on our system. And the reality is, is there's actually research that's been done. One of the studies I think was uh, in Cleveland, Ohio, um, and I can't remember if it was 2008 or somewhere, somewhere around then. But uh, basically, it shows that for I think it was like for every uh, four million dollars that has been spent on refugee resettlement that actually it's about $46 million that is put back into the community by refugees due to employment, paying taxes, buying homes. Um, so it's very similar. It's very parallel to the immigration issue that we're talking about right now um, and, and having individuals that are undocumented coming into the United States. So there's a lot of misinformation. People, you know, there's just kind of that natural blanket tendency to say, oh, everyone's getting on welfare. They're sucking, you know, sucking off the system. Yeah. Um, but the reality is, is they're actually contributing um, by creating businesses. We have, I can't tell you how many, <laughs> how many, uh, Arabic food markets we have now. We have probably like four or five, um, and then we also have individuals that you know are that's awesome creating that's like, businesses for transportation. Yeah, I mean it's it's really they're kind of adding to our infrastructure, sure. but it's I think people are a little bit blind to that and don't really 
either they see that as the exception. Um, I've heard a lot of refugees actually want to go back to the country <laughs> they came from. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've... They take one look at these pasty redheaded kids and they're like... Get me out of here! Just eat that! Leave us alone! Well, mm-hmm. Ryan, I, I know, like, uh, so so you mentioned um, your faith being sort of a driving conviction for you. Um, yeah. And I think one of the biggest criticisms of this this crisis um, from pe- from more conservative, uh, perhaps faith-based, perhaps Christian, uh, right-wing yeah. political folk, is that it's not the government's job to be charitable. It's my personal yeah. choice, right? So the government yeah. should not spend the money that they tax me for other people that I don't necessarily they're forcing me to pay for these other people which obviously you answered a little bit in 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 the statistics where they they actually um the tax dollars they bring in in the community and the business they create and everything right it sort of sort of balances it out but what i'm saying to those faith-based people is wouldn't it be great if we lived in a country where these mega churches got together (laughs) and opened up their mega homes from right. mega impoverished, mega escaping uh, oppression people, that would be yeah. great because we have the right. resource. We, you're right. America does have the resources, and it's piled up in in mega churches. And if yeah. they would just open their doors and maybe have some refugee programs and tell the government, "Hey, you're going to settle 400 in our town. We want them. We'll take them, and we'll take right. care of them, and we'll we'll help right. them into the community, and we'll help them get jobs and education and get assimilated." And that would be. Like- uh, that would be the solution, in my opinion. Because that's that's kind of something I'm picking up on this, is that we, we kind of take in this misconception that, oh, no, the Muslims coming over here are different than everybody else. You don't understand. That's kind of what I hear a lot. Yeah. And uh, you've never been afraid then, Ryan, at all, doing what you do? I mean, no, I mean, I, <laughs> I mean I'm really, I, I feel like I'm super fortunate. We have families, and, and this is across the board, you know, but it, this also includes Muslim families. You know, they constantly are bringing food into our clinic. We just had a family from Uzbekistan uh, who's Muslim. They prepared this meal uh, for our clinic and just brought it in randomly. They didn't tell us hey, we're going to bring this in for you. This isn't for the care that you provided for us. They just brought this meal in that took probably a day, day and a half to prepare. Um, and they just brought it to us. And we just were like, oh my gosh, we had this incredible uh, homemade bread, incredible rice with um, you know, beef. And I, I guess that's just a, an example of where I feel like the gratitude and, and also just the misperceptions of like, Again, people are just trying to take take from sure. us. Um, There's a level of humanity there yeah. that we don't see in the media. The media doesn't right. try to depict the fact that these are right. human people that have gratitude, right. that have love. They want they want to protect their families. They want a, an opportunity for success. All all we see depicted to us is the potential for a one bad apple to sneak through. Right. And you know, and we get this fear. I think we have no idea what it means to flee. Uh, from being persecuted for having our families um, targeted um, or or even if it's just random acts of of violence where we have no um, yeah we just have no understand what it's like to go you know to try to send our kids to school and with the threat of of having some type of um, you know car bomb going off um, I, I I think we're just pretty ignorant to that fact um, and we're so fear-based that uh, that that for us, it, it, we can't even we can't even go to a place of empathy for these individuals. We go to a place of just protecting 
ourselves. A lot of people have given up professions. I think sometimes there's a misunderstanding thinking that everyone that comes over in their home country was doing some type of um, either they weren't working or they're doing some low grade work, uh, so to speak. But we have a lot of individuals, especially coming from Iraq um, in the Middle East, that were doctors, physicians. And those individuals that have come over as physicians are now working either as interpreters, they're working as janitors. And so you think about the dignity uh, stripping effect that that has for individuals. Yeah. And that's, I, to me, that's the most humbling thing. Um, one friend, she um, went through uh, they don't have to go through residency again, but they have to take the the medical boards. Um, and uh, she ended up becoming um, the chief resident uh, at the hospital that she, sorry, she did go through residency, not through medical school, but she became the chief resident at the uh, hospital that she was at during that time and uh, now is going into specialty care. Um, and I think she's finishing up in a year or two. And so that's, you know, those are the examples of people that have gone through so much, lost so much, and, and then still are pushing to now try to figure out what does that look like here. Wow. Um, and and I, to me, that that's for us, the vicarious or secondary resiliency where that gives us a sense of like, wow, how, how incredible, how uh, humbling is it to see someone lose it all and then all, all of a sudden move forward and, and gain it back through, through their own effort, not because we've given them something. Well, thank you, Ryan. Yeah. We really appreciate uh, your input. And I just, man, I just want to commend you on your conviction, on your heart, on, on going to these extracurricular uh, protest protests. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And uh, we just we just thank, thank you. you for your input. It's been really eye opening. Hey, I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks for coming on, man. All right. Take care. All right. That was Ryan Lipscomb shedding some light, uh, giving us some insight into the world of refugees and counseling and and what he does in uh, in Boise, Idaho. And we're really just thankful for his perspective what do you think of that interview nate um i thought it was i thought it was great i mean i wish he could have talked for a lot longer um because there's so many like stories i'm sure he has and he shared the one where they brought all the food in right and um i just think so often we just have it in our minds that anyone different from us is automatically bad right on the out they're on the outside the other other side the other side (laughs) and he quickly shows that like sometimes um they're better than us you know what i mean yeah. like they are more generous and kind uh, not they necessarily sure. but just the, the 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 perceived enemy right is, well they're you know, hu- they're they're human and that's the thing is like yeah. we're all one like we want to divide by religion or race or economic status that's our human nature is to want to divide but when you see everybody as human as people who love uh their families as people who want to succeed and be successful and and to live a happy positive uh life and contribute to society yeah like 99.9 percent of people (laughs) want to do that so yeah it's uh it's interesting to see it from that perspective, and he gets that every day. He sees people as people, and and a lot of these people have been through a lot harder situations, losing loved ones and getting displaced from their homes. That, and they overcome it in such you know miraculous and heroic ways. It's um you know it's got to be inspiring yeah. to see. 
Well, imagine if you were a doctor in America and you got displaced because you because America became a war torn country, and then you're a janitor in yeah some other country. Yeah, I mean, as a Western thing, I mean, we think that our medicine's the best and we're the best at everything. So I could, I can't imagine a bunch of white people going <laughs> to some country who are like PhDs and scholars right. who are now wiping down toilets. Sure. So, so you and my buddy's at the like bottom, yeah. Like the amount of humility it takes as a person to do that, right? Um, just to be thankful to not have bombs blowing up near you. I mean, right. that that's crazy. I I never realized that like these people are educated and they have successful lives, and then they have to leave right. those lives. They're not like poor criminals. Like uh, you know, a lot of them are economists. A lot of them are are in law. A lot of them are doctors. Um, yeah, you know, these are the people who can get out often. Because they have the means and the resources to get into these refugee camps, um, a mm. lot of a lot of the poorer people are just left behind. They don't have the wheels or the transportation or the money to bribe whoever to get out of the region. Um, yeah, we don't even think about that, and we don't even talk about that when we discuss it. We have, it's like there's just no, there's no, we're all human. That's not the no, that's not the initial starting. It's point. us, it's us and them, and that's what fear does. It kind of divides. So, so I guess question, that is the bigger point, right? Right. Is is we're all human. No matter where we are, we all we all we all give birth to babies and want to love those babies and yeah. feel that feeling, right? Yeah. Can you imagine though gangs running in the streets near your house pulling people out and chopping their heads off and while your baby's trying to sleep? While you're like can you imagine that being your reality and then having to go we have to leave our house? Well we can't sell it. And we have nowhere to go. And we have nowhere to go. Where do we go? Like and just that reality. And a boat at two in the morning and with your kids getting... and a bag. Yeah. Just, just to have a little bit of empathy for that experience, I think. And I'm important. sure the naysayers on listening to this podcast are going, but those people, their thinking caused the problems in their country that got them, the other people, to have to leave. We don't want that over here in our country they would argue that the fear that they have to keep that from happening is a good thing. Right. And and I think you and I are saying, well... Fear is a good place to start your development. I mean, we're talking about toddlers and raising kids and, and teaching you to, you to be safe and, and respect and allowing you to learn and have emotional memory that causes basic survival skills. But it's not a good place to live, especially when you're trying to think and be reasonable about the current situations that we find ourselves in and especially not on the internet when it's already a place full of fear as it is because a bunch of people are on facebook just jabbing away so <laughs> we all we all know how quick we can get blocked on facebook right how many people have you blocked on facebook <laughs> none man? man none i like open discourse i, I keep you all don't my block people i keep my trolls close Man, you know what? Maybe by the end of this podcast, <laughs> I'll unblock everybody <laughs> and be like, "Let them in." Hey, bro. E- even you. Even you. Yeah. Even you trolls. Like the refugees, you let the trolls in. You gotta let the trolls hey, in. Man. As the good Lord said, "Be not afraid, my man." Well, thanks for listening to our episode on fear. It's a little bit broad and big. We know that, but uh, and I know we missed a bunch of stuff that we could have talked about. But uh, we're probably wrong about some things. That's our. Uh, that's kind of our motto. That's besides. our mo. Don't debate without the hate. Um, <laughs> but give us some feedback, Matt. How can they give us some feedback? You know this. You can uh, you can send us an email at don't email the trolls at gmail.com or through our website at trollspodcast.com. Until next time, don't feed the trolls. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, we should have uh, some kind of like little jingle that plays. <laughs> You're a musician. You can make up some yeah. songs. I could. Do it. Come Is on. my video still frozen? Yeah, you're picking your nose. All right, my bad.